Good morning and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. I hope everyone had a, a meaningful uh, Rosh Hashanah. We are now uh, in the Aseris Yimei Tshuva um, and we have an exciting guest uh, to join us today. I don't usually choose guests that are topical to the time of year. I sometimes try to find a connection, but maybe by the end of the show, maybe yes, maybe no. Um, we Our guest today is really exciting. He's uh, I, I think I first must have heard about him maybe in 2004, 2005. I had heard that there was this, ah, you know what, I think we were studying in Israel. My husband and I were in Israel for a couple of years studying. Um, he was learning there after we got married, and I heard that there was this rabbi that was an expert on the animal kingdom and had grappled with a lot of difficult scientific questions, and I think we had gotten some of his books. Um, this is before he became as known to the world um, as he was a couple of years after that, and this is maybe 2004, something like that. We got uh, maybe The Mysterious Creatures, which talked about really interesting um, segments of the Gemara, creatures that couldn't be possible, you know, according to, uh, you know, rational scientific thought that would exist like unicorns and, you know, fire-breathing salamanders. How do you grapple with such uh, creatures being spoken about in the Talmud, you know, living in a rational world? I've got this beautiful book, Perik Shira. I mean, really one such stunning essay, so inspiring, um, just sort of going through the different songs of the animal kingdom. Um, and then I got to hear him speak maybe a year or two after that. And then recently, actually, we, we brought him to speak uh, at our new initiative, Project Makom, which is our uh, a branch of Jew in the City that is helping uh, former and questioning Haredim find their place in orthodoxy, people that started off in a community that didn't work out for them. We're showing them that there are other options within the, the Torah-observant world and letting them see if maybe something else uh, could work better. If you haven't figured out who I'm referring to yet, his name is Rabbi Natan Slifkin. He's also known as the Zoo Rabbi. He's the director of the Biblical Museum of Natural History in Beit Shemesh, Israel. He was born in Manchester, England. He spent many years of study at yeshivas in Israel. He taught Talmud and Jewish philosophy at Or Sameach, where he received his rabbinic ordination. He has an MA in Jewish studies from Lander Institute of Jerusalem, where he graduated summa cum laude and is currently pursuing a PhD in Jewish history at Bar-Ilan University. His dissertation is on rabbinic encounters with zoology in the 19th century. He's also taught extensively on Judaism, science, and zoology at Yeshiva Lev HaTorah in Ramat Beit Shemesh and at numerous synagogues worldwide. He also runs many educational programs at zoos and natural history museums, as well as serving as a scholar-in-residence on African safaris. I'm going to talk to him about that later, how I can get on an African safari. Um, Rabbi Slivkin has written numerous books on the topic of Judaism and natural sciences. He's also written extensively for Daf Yomi Advancement Forum, as well as many newspapers, websites, and journals. He maintains a popular blog, Rationalist Judaism. He's been covered in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal. We are very privileged to have him here with us today. Um, I should say uh, good afternoon to you because you're calling in from Israel. So good afternoon to you, Rabbi Slivkin. Thank you. It's good to be on the show. Um, and uh, so we wanted to talk to you today. So besides, uh, how, how long have you been uh, the director of this uh, this museum? Um, wait, remind me what um, it's called again, to the director of the Museum year. of Natural History. Yeah, quite new. We just opened uh, last Sukkot. Okay. And it's been uh, quite and a thrilling process. 
And so what what is a biblical museum of natural, meaning like I know what the museum of natural history is in uh, Manhattan. You know, my family goes all the time where there's that big whale, there's all the dinosaur bones. What is the biblical museum of natural history? So we don't have any dinosaurs because they're not biblical animals. The idea is to present uh, the animal kingdom uh, of the Bible, of the Torah, we have, uh, we're not, we're actually kind of more like a combination of a museum and a zoo. We have a lot of live animals also. Basically, anything small enough to be kept uh-huh. indoors is live. But the, uh, the larger biblical animals okay. are presented as taxidermy exhibits, and the smaller ones as live exhibits. And it's, uh, the visitors take a guided tour, very interactive, where they learn all about the uh, identification and the significance of different animals in the Torah. Are there extinct animals that, um, you're recreating there, or no? Uh, well, the, the only animal in Tanakh which is now extinct is the aurochs, which is the uh, called Re'em in Hebrew. It's the uh, giant wild ancestor of domestic cattle. Uh, because they're extinct, we don't okay. actually have one on display, but uh, one day we'd like to perhaps uh, recreate it. Very cool. And what about, isn't there a certain... I'm saying in the animals that you're told split hoof and chew their cud, so there's one, I guess it's the hair, right? Is that, I mean, you have a book on this, or it's the hyrax. What, okay, I don't even know what that is. What is yeah, this? Yeah, we have hyraxes. What, what's your book? <laughs> we have live hyraxes on display at the museum. Um, and those are still yeah, around? Yeah, so we have the exhibits are divided into different sections. We have, for example, a section on kosher, kosher and non-kosher animals, birds, fishes, insects. Uh, we have... Um, Exhibits on the eight shuatsim, which are the eight uh, creeping creatures, reptiles and small mammals that transmit spiritual impurity. Uh, we have the world's largest collection of exotic chauffeurs from different creatures. We have mm. a display of the okay, largest so predators. Okay, that's time of year. Yeah. yeah. And we, yeah, and that's our, a good time. Okay, sh- mm-hmm. Shofars can come from a variety of animals because my son has this little goat that he's been carrying around with him, my four-year-old son, and I noticed that it had, he had shofars on his head, and he told me, this is not shofars, Mommy. This is a goat, not a ram. But are, you can make shofars well, from different goat, types the, of animals? Right. Well, the, the best one to use is the ram in order to uh, okay. commemorate the Akedat uh, Yitzchak. But, uh, right. you know, shofars can technically be made from a, a variety of animals. So at the museum, we present uh, all kinds of horns, and including both those which cannot be used to make chauffeurs and those that can. Now, I believe a couple of years, like a few years back, I was at a biblical zoo in Israel. Is there such a thing? Yeah. Well, in Jerusalem, there's a Jerusalem uh, biblical zoo which I, I used to teach at, which is a, it's a it. superb zoo. It's not particularly uh, biblical. I mean, it's more, you know, it. It, was a, it used to be a lot more. Now it's more of a general zoo. So it's an excellent zoo. But uh, what we do at the museum is a more kind of focused on, uh, on the Bible, per se. In other words, everything that we have at the museum uh, is specifically uh, connected to the Bible. And the experience uh, is very, you know, we have a more of an indoor-focused educational experience than, than an outdoor zoo experience. And uh, schools come in? I'm saying you bring in, like, specific like programs from yeah, different we have schools? Or? Yeah. Right, it's not only here for kids. It's also we have uh, adult tours, too, corporate groups, family groups. All kinds. Uh, you might want to check out our website, um, www.biblicalnaturalhistory.org, which gives a, a taste of the Very experience. Cool. How, how long a visit would you uh, say for book, people that might want to... Advanced, you know? advanced bookings only. Sorry? Oh, how, how, long, uh, how long would you say it takes to, to make your way through the museum? What's a good amount of time to a lot for, uh, for a visit? The tour is about an hour and a quarter, hour and a half. 
at the end we have mm-hmm. a little petting zoo outside for kids to play with lots of other animals. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, a, it's it. a guided tour, you know, so people have to uh, reserve spots in advance. Mm-hmm. But it's so interactive, and, um, we take a lot of the uh, reptiles out of the cages. Oh, my kids would love that. <laughs> um, can you tell us a little bit about, like, what started your fascination with animals and, you know, kind of specifically animals and then in Tanakh and Talmud and, and Medrash? How did that – were you a kid that liked animals and then you started learning Torah and you noticed yeah. them within the, well, the books you read? Kids that was always, yeah, I was one of these kids that was always obsessed with animals, especially exotic ones, had all kinds of uh, weird and wonderful pets. You know, when I was a kid, people said to me, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I always said that I wanted to have a zoo. And everyone laughed at me because, wow. you know, running a zoo is not a job for a nice Jewish boy. So they said I should become right. a computer programmer. And then after high school, when I went to Yeshiva, I decided I wanted to become a rabbi. And that was you know, definitely not a job for a nice Jewish boy. That really uh, uh, alarmed right. people. But uh, then I decided to look into, you know, what does Judaism have to say about the animal kingdom? And I found this tremendous wealth of, of fascinating material. Uh, to study, and I started learning about it, writing about it in different books, teaching about it. I was running education programs in different zoos in Israel and the U.S., and then eventually I realized that I just really want to create my own place, which will be have a, exactly the uh, the animals and the exhibits that are necessary for uh, best teaching the, uh, the, the Torah's perspective on the animal kingdom. But no one ever uh, really, until, like, hmm? so you became the zoo rabbi, no one was ever, was anyone known before, like, sort of as concentrating in this area, or there were just general commentaries that would mention animals and there were along people, the way? There were people, more in the field academia. There was uh, the late Professor Yehuda Felix, who wrote some books on animals of the Bible. Uh, right now in, uh, in Baraland, there's Dr. Zohar Amar, who teaches academic courses, and he's a tremendous expert on this topic. But, um... I think I'm the first to do um, more to be seeking to educate the uh, the broader public in in this field, and I guess I'm very mm-hmm. fortunate, I'm very blessed because I'm able to work in a field that I'm really passionate about. It's exciting. Also, I feel like a lot of kids, you know, they have this childhood dream, and then they kind of grow up and you know have to change it to something more. I don't know, like. Um, Standard, and it's exciting that you, you know, had this passion as a child, and you were able to find a way to have a, a grown-up version of it. So, my son also likes animals a lot. So maybe uh, the truth is that when yeah, when you came to speak to us recently, I saw this new book that you wrote, um, this uh, the Torah Encyclopedia, the Animal Kingdom, and immediately I said this could be a great way for him to do more Torah learning with his daddy because. He already has the fascination with the animals, and this is a way to bridge it. So can you tell us a little bit about this book, like what, you know, when you thought to write it, kind of what the concept behind it was, how long it took to write? Right. So um, when I, after a couple of years you know, teaching about this topic, I realized that uh, you know, I'd, I'd written about various aspects of it you'd mentioned, but I, I realized that what was needed was a, something really comprehensive that would go through every reference to animals, in Tanakh, in the Gemara, in the Midrash, uh, and that's what I, I set out to do. So I decided to first concentrate on, on the most interesting members of the animal kingdom, the wild animals, and I figured it would take me about two or three years uh, to write this book. In the end, it took 14 years. Oh, my <laughs> it gosh. Just, it was amazing because there was just so much material and things that you wouldn't even imagine, like, you know, hyenas. How much do you think, what would you think Judaism have to say about hyenas? But uh, I find all these references... Uh, which are fascinating to uh, you know to, uh, to 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 study about and to learn that the symbolism of different animals um, in Tanakh and in the Gemara, 
and, uh, and that's how that book developed. So it took me a, a lot longer to uh, produce than I'd anticipated, but it was a, a fascinating voyage of discovery. And, so uh, like animals you said, the Asana, so are animals used as symbols? Like how are M saying is it part well, storytelling? Well, they appear for different, in different contexts, and that's why you know, the book is not even, you know, depending on the animal, they appear in different contexts. So, for example, the lion, which is discussed in you know, over 150 places in Tanakh and 200 places in, in, in the Talmud, so there the most discussions of the lion about, about its uh, symbolic significance as the king of beasts, the most powerful animal, and so on. But then with other animals, you know, elephants, for example, Elephants mostly occur in, uh, in halachic discussions uh, because they're particular size and their intelligence makes some interesting uh, halachic ramifications. So it really depends on the animal. I mean, some chapters of the book which deal more with the symbolism, some with halachic aspects, some with identification. Some animals, a major interest uh, to us is trying to identify what this Hebrew word refers to. So, so there's you know, diverse areas. Were you, I mean, I, I guess when you know, the world was less civilized or less, you know, uh, digitized like we are now, I guess there was more mm-hmm. connection to animals, certainly farm animals and livestock, that sort of a thing. But, I mean, was there interactions with such wild animals? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, what, were rabbis really interacting with lions? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, really? you see that the, uh, the prophets, the Nevi'im uh, and Chazal, the sages, that they always drew upon the uh, wild animals in order to convey lessons. And it's because this, this is the world that they lived in. You know, the, when people come to the museum, they're shocked to see all these animals and to realize that this is what used to roam wild in the land of Israel, lions and bears and hippos and crocodiles. Uh, and this was the world, uh, the world of the, the Nevi'im and of the sages. And that's what they drew on it. And if we're going to uh, understand the lessons that they were trying to teach and, the, you know, the images they were trying to convey, we have to uh, know what these animals were that they were talking about. Hmm. Because I know it's interesting, um, we hear from people a decent amount now about how scared Orthodox Jews are of animals, like particularly dogs. Like there's maybe like a giant gap or disconnect of how things used to be to where we got today, right? Right. Well, now Jews are mostly, you know, essentially you know, your website is called a Jew in the City. Yep. That's where most Jews live now, you know, in, in sure. cities. And we're very cut off from, uh, from wildlife. And also with dogs, there's probably a cultural hangover from Europe right. where dogs didn't have a very positive role in it, vis-a-vis Jews. But uh, if you look in, in biblical times, at least in biblical and Talmudic times, people were much more connected you know, to, the, uh, to the natural world. Is part of your mission or part of what your hope is to get uh, the Jewish community more comfortable around animals and more positive about animals? Yeah, more sensitive to, um, more sensitive to the, uh, the beauty of nature the beauty of the world that God created, and uh, more sensitive to animals in particular, to uh, understand them as, uh, as, as living creatures and mm-hmm. to familiarize themselves with them. And, and that's why in the museum, um, it's very hands-on. We give people an opportunity to touch animals and to really, uh, to really meet them. Mm-hmm. And like, what's you know, a good age, meaning like my son, is, hmm? my son is almost seven, um, and he loves animals, but... You know, is is this new encyclopedia that you have? Is this something that a seven-year-old you think could start to to learn about, or is there kind of a good starting well, point for? Well, there's three aspects to the encyclopedia. There's the uh, photographs, which uh, there's a lot of it. You know, a lot of photos in the book, and uh, a lot of people, I have to say, just uh, appreciate the photos, which we selected from you know, through thousands and thousands of photos to select the best ones. So uh, as many as many people who just will appreciate the pictures. And there's the main text, which is 
on a level that's a bit too high for a seven-year-old, I would think. Um, but for you know, older children and adults, and then for people who really want to take things in more detail, there's the, uh, a lot more information in the, uh, in the footnotes and endnotes. So, so I designed the book to be accessible on different levels. And then the museum and the encyclopedia are kind of complementary in that the museum provides for the, uh, the visual experience where you see the animals up front and personal, and the encyclopedia enables you to do more detailed research. Very cool. Can you tell us a little bit about um, the, the African safari thing? Because that's definitely one of the things that you do that has caught my attention. I'm not sure if I'm actually that brave because I really do like being Jew in the city, but sort of uh, <laughs> maybe to imagine a little bit. How, how often do you go well, you on know, these safaris? How long do they last for? Um, so I do it um, every year. I work with uh, Toro in Motion. We're based in Toronto. And the idea is to do a, a, a Torah tour of Africa. Like, you know, th- these animals that used to be mentioned in the Torah, uh, that, you know, they used to live in Israel, but now, or now if you want to see them in the wild, you have to go to Africa. So we do a 10-day tour of Africa, including South Africa, Botswana, Zimbabwe. And we do uh, game drives, riverboat safaris, uh, elephant rides, uh, Cape Town. And uh, the goal is to see all the animals in the, in the natural habitat. And, uh, and learn about the significance of these animals uh, in Judaism. It's, a, it's very exciting. It's, it's safe, I would say. And Pretty you're much. living, are you like camping out? Or are you sleeping in hotels? Oh, no, 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 no. This is, uh, uh, we do it five star. Got it. It's okay, fine. Deep, All right, so uh, I, I like that part experience. of it at least. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I think I've also seen before you did something where you have like a tasting of different like Exotic kosher animals is—is this sound something that you've done, like bugs uh, or I've, I've giraffes? More, or? Uh, a friend of mine, an Ari Zivotofsky, a colleague of mine, uh, who's arranged a couple of those. You know, the uh, the traditions for many kosher birds and uh, insects is dying out. So uh, occasionally, uh, he's done those uh, these meals where which uh, passes on the uh, the masora for some of the more obscure species. We're thinking of putting one on at the museum, but it's uh, complicated to organize. Right now at the museum, I have uh, a couple of locusts, kosher locusts on display, but strangely, not many of the visitors seem to be interested in eating them. So uh, I don't think we'll be uh, offering them to purchase. All right, very nice. And um, and so and if you give us also a little bit of an overview, so you've, you've done the encyclopedia. Is this one of the first books you started working on? Because is this your 10th book right now I saw from your bio? Or? Uh, I've done different, different versions of different books, so I don't really... Um, keep count of the numbers. This is the one that's more, most accessible for uh, a broad audience. The other books I've written on aspects of science and Torah are more, are more specialized, more for a niche crowd. Got it. So, um, this, this and you have Parashira, and you have the, the high, um, sacred monsters, uh, sacred the monsters. camel, the hare, and the hyrax. I'm just reading off of my shelf yeah. right now because we are, we are long-term, uh, long-time collectors of, uh, of your work. Um, and anything else you'd want to share with us about the book today or...? Um, well, I also have a book, The Challenge of Creation, deals with the age of the universe and evolution. Mm-hmm. Um, with regards to the encyclopedia, I have uh, two, three chapters that can be downloaded online on the leopard and on the hyrax, which those can be, uh, those can be downloaded at the website biblicalnaturalhistory.org. Mm-hmm. All right, excellent. Um, well, um, and, and where, where can people purchase your books? Uh, the books are available at Jewish bookstores and also on, on the museum website. If people can buy them on the museum website, then that also supports the museum. So we'd love mm-hmm. it for people to buy them there. And, uh, you know, encourage people to, uh, to come visit. You know, it's, it's, uh, who, 
people are quite, uh, people are finding at the museum that they actually are able to hold a eight foot python around their neck. Mm-hmm. And is there any? I'm saying like some of the stuff you've done before has been a little more controversial. Is there any controversy surrounding the museum, or is it pretty much uh, no. acceptable? No, again, no. The idea, uh, my idea was that um, to to make the, muse- the museum encyclopedia should be entirely non-controversial, so that. Uh, across the religious spectrum, people can feel comfortable uh, reading the encyclopedia, visiting the museum. So, uh, and also, the controversial areas, dinosaurs and so on, these don't really relate to biblical natural history. You know, dinosaurs are not mentioned anywhere in Tanakh. So, uh, I kept my dinosaur fossils at home. They're not on display at the museum. Mm-hmm. And the museum encyclopedia, therefore, services all different crowds. We have uh, Haredi, Hasidic groups even visiting the museum. Mm. We have tours in Yiddish. Wow. Beautiful. Yeah. And do you have any upcoming speaking tours anywhere in the States? Uh, no, I just, I just finished uh, my last round in Got August. Um, the next will probably be uh, next summer, so I don't, I don't have anything uh, in particular scheduled yet. Okay, all right. Well, um, and, but we can, we can keep up with your, with your schedule and that sort of thing on Zootora.com. Is that where people can uh, keep up to date with what uh, you're up to? Uh, well, now this is, uh, my blog is Rationalist Judaism. Okay. So that's where I post my schedule. Uh, or also, if people sign up for the museum newsletter at biblicalnaturalhistories.org. Excellent. All right, well, thank you so much for uh, joining us today, and we wish you a lot thank of Hatzlacha with uh, the museum, and I uh, hope that this book inspires uh, and ignites the imaginations of uh, you know Jewish children and adults all over the world, and uh, it should be a Shana Tova. Thank you very much. Shana Tova to you, too. And that was Rabbi Natan Slifkin uh, speaking about his new book, The uh, Torah Encyclopedia of the Animal Kingdom. Um, It's interesting, a few years back when we made our Science and Torah video, it was one of the misconceptions that I wanted to cover in our video series because I think a lot of people don't believe that Science and Torah can work together. And there's differing opinions on this, but when I spoke to my personal rabbi about who you know, what I should read, what I should research before I attempted to write this script. He told me to read Natan Slifkin's book, The Science of Torah. So um, even though there was some controversy around, you know, some of the materials that he, uh, that Rabbi Slifkin was writing at a certain point on on this subject, um, I was glad to see that my rabbi, you know, supported his approach. And you can check out our video on this topic on YouTube or on JewInTheCity.com. It's called Mayim Bialik and the Other Big Bang Theory. Um, and we filmed it a few years ago. It's actually our number one uh, most viewed video, um, but not just because it's an interesting topic, but because anything with celebrities in them um, t- tend to have more uh, more views. It's just sort of the nature of this game. And speaking of celebrities, we have a cool event coming up. We are hoping to finalize the date uh, sometime very soon. It's looking like it's going to be maybe the first week or two of November. Um, Probably it's going to be Wednesday or Thursday night. Um, A few months back, you might have remembered that I interviewed Emily Stern, who is the oldest daughter of um, radio show host and TV uh, show host Howard Stern. So we are putting together an art opening. She has um, a mikveh uh, 
photograph series that we are uh, doing an art opening for. It's very exciting. Um, and uh, as you may remember, uh, Emily is an observant Jew. She's Shomer Shabbos. She actually spent Shabbos with my family over the summer. We uh, had a blast getting to know her better. So we're going to be doing uh, a two-part event. Uh, one part of the opening will be for singles specifically. We thought it might be a nice way for some of our younger single crowd to get to meet each other. Maybe we can, you know, make a shidduch or two. Um, and then we're going to have an opening for the general public. Um, we already have uh, food sponsors um, from Petopia, so there's going to be some great uh, Middle Eastern food and some sushi. Um, and we have uh, a wine sponsor as well, as well, royal wine. Um, and it, it thinks should be a pretty, uh, you know, interesting out of the box event. Um, people have asked us over the years to do more. Uh, events for Jew in the City since we're mostly an online presence. Um, so we're kind of, you know, dipping in toe into this. We do, of course, every year our annual Orthodox Jewish All-Star Awards party. Uh, this year it's looking like it's going to be actually in 2016. By the time we reach all of our All-Stars this year, um, it, you know, everyone has a very busy schedule and right now we're trying to plan around. We have a Baroness who's one of our all-stars, Baroness Roz Altman, who is a um, the pensions minister in the House of Lords in the UK. So she has a pretty, you know, small window of when she can come in from London. And so we're looking like maybe sometime February, March, God willing, when we get the finalized dates from our various all-stars, we will let you know about that as well. Um, and just to, uh, you know, get you up to date on some other things that have been going on since I hear from people that, you know, a lot of this show is spent interviewing other people, but they'd like to hear more from me. I kind of feel like you can hear from me, you know, in the videos and, uh, you know, on Facebook and on the blog. And a lot of this show, I like to highlight other people so that you can hear about other Jews and other cities. But, um, I figured it might give you a little bit of an up-to-date, uh, you know, segment this week since uh, it's been a long hiatus over the summer. Um, I've been speaking all over the place recently. I was um, in Queens uh, at the beginning of last week speaking to a group called Jay Inspire, and then I flew to Ottawa. I spoke at their annual Federation kickoff, uh, which was exciting. It was about 500, uh, you know, Jews of various ages and backgrounds. Got to give a little uh, pre-high holiday inspiration. Um, and then this week, uh, today actually, uh, later today, I'm going to be speaking um, at Kushner Yeshiva High School. Um, and then I'm going to be speaking in Bergenfield, New Jersey, this Saturday night, Motzei Shabbos. Um, and then I'm going to be doing a... Uh, Shabbaton at Stern, actually, in uh, October. I'll be heading to Baltimore as well in October. Um, so there's some, uh, you know, different opportunities to hear me speak if you're in any of these areas or if you have any friends and family who are as well. Um, and then one other uh, quick update, which is pretty exciting. If you remember um, this Project Makom initiative we launched in the last year that is doing more and more programming, we just had a group um, that headed to... Atlanta for Rosh Hashanah. Um, you know, we spoke to some of the people who are trying to find their place within orthodoxy, people that came from segments of the Hasidic world or parts of the ultra yeshivish world that wasn't the right fit for them that are trying to find some other place that might fit better for themselves. Um, that sometimes the New York area is a little bit of an intense place, just life in general moves a little bit quicker here and people are kind of more on top of each other. We had suggested that maybe getting 
uh, people hate this term who are out of town, but getting out of town, getting outside of the main, you know, uh, tri-state area might give people a little more space um, and sort of see, you know, a little bit of a different type of life, you know, Jews in a different type of city. So um, our co-director, Mindy Schopper, who we interviewed here a few months ago, um, really last minute, probably about a week and a half ago, said to me, what do you think if we try to organize a group to Atlanta? And I said, well, that sounds like a nice idea for next year, but don't you think it's kind of last minute to organize something for this year? And I said, you know what, give it a try. Why not? See who's interested. She posted in the Project Malcolm group, which I believe is up to almost 500 members now, which is crazy. Um, and in a few days, she gathered almost 25 people. Um, a bunch of them rented a van and they drove down um, and some people flew. And um, Rabbi Shlomo Pill, who gave a, a class um, a few weeks ago for our group at Makom, um, was our host and put them up by a lot of wonderful families. Um, we had people who came on this program that told us that they were not going to be observing the holiday had they not come along with our group. So um, it's very exciting for us that not only you know do we have amazing uh, people that are part of our team that are leading these efforts, but that um, the members of Project Mokum as well are really game to try new things, to you know do spare the minute, last minute things. Um, and I think that's hopefully how people will ultimately find their place by not being afraid to you know explore new horizons and you know take some risks and and see what else the world has to offer. So anyway, those are some of the latest and greatest updates here at Jew in the City. And thank you so much for listening. Um, and we look forward to bringing you an exciting new season here. Uh, like I said last week, it's the fourth season of the Nachum Siegel Network, but it is our second season, and we have a lot of exciting guests coming up. Thanks so much, and uh, check us out same time, same place next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>